Hello, I'm Najmi. And I'm Najwa, and this is Spread Love Not Hate. What is Spread Love Not Hate about, you might ask? Spread Love Not Hate, also known as SLNH, is a group formed with the idea of spreading positivity and awareness, and is for people to get a better and deeper understanding of mental health disorders, and those who experience them. We want to help the public realize that mental health disorders exist on spectrums that cannot be neatly packed into specific boxes or categories. In addition to helping those experiencing mental health disorders to better understand themselves, we also try to provide sources from which they can seek assistance. Each week, we will discuss about a topic regarding mental health and invite a special guest to join in the conversation and provide their insight. Without further ado, enjoy the podcast. So today, we're going to talk about mental health assistance, how to, you know, seek mental health assistance, how to confront like, probably the people around you with your issues regarding mental health, because I feel like as uh, as a person, as a, as a part of the main public, you know, not uh, within the boundaries of like Malaysia's healthcare system, like you are, mm-hmm. it feels like uh, generally speaking, you don't get a lot of exposure. So like mental health yeah. assistance and whatnot, you don't really know a lot of them even exist. And some people are yeah, usually, yeah. they usually create reasons like, oh, I don't want to get help because uh, I'll get bullied or I don't want to get help because true. I don't think that there's any help. True. Yeah, so start off, uh, how about you introduce yourself, Raj, your name, what you do and, All right. uh, you know. So my name's, uh, my, my name's Raj. Um, I've uh, been a paramedic with the Malaysian Crescent for about about one and a half to two years already. I've been in the field. Um, as of right now, I'm currently uh, not at work for the time being because of the COVID situation. But once it starts uh, getting better, I'll be back in the field. Throughout my two years of experience, I've uh, done a lot, seen a lot, treat, treated quite a few patients and lost a few patients as well. But uh, that's besides the point. And uh, I am 19 this year. Yes, and my birthday is on November 7th. So if you, uh, you know, plan to uh, have a birthday party for me, uh, yeah, November 7th. <laughs> okay, everybody, write that Happy down in your calendar. <laughs> Happy early birthday. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Happy early birthday. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, Raj, is it like uh, the organization you work with? Yes. How long has it uh, existed? Um, it's, it has existed quite some time already since it's, uh, so Malaysian Crescent is the first uh, government uh, healthcare service provided, provider other than St. John. So, like other than St. John, we're the other government ambulance and uh, healthcare uh, department with the government. So it's been here for quite some time. I think since the 19th, 1990s around there, quite some time ago. Yeah, it's, it's been established quite some time ago. I'm not too sure about the exact date though, however. When did you uh, join? So my journey in Rayquestion started when I was in secondary school. So you know how uh, schools we have uh, co-curricular co-curricular activities such as uh, Rayquestion, Saint John, and all that. So I joined Rayquestion, um, you know, just so I could learn. But eventually, the learning of uh, medical basics turned out into a passion, and from a passion, it's now become a job of mine. And um, ever since then, you know. Providing uh, health, uh, providing immediate health care, uh, quick response to patients, uh, emergency physician care, and all that. It's it's been a really great journey of mine. Yeah. Uh, question though, since like 
you've been working in this field of yours, what is like the most common thing that people have come to you with? Like what do they say? Okay. So my main so basically I'm so as a paramedic we normally as a paramedic I'm a second person in the ambulance. So most of the time we respond to a nine 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 calls and these calls there's no significant pattern or significant uh call out, you know. Like mm-hmm. one day I could get a call for stomach pain at four AM in the morning and the next day I could have like a vehicle accident on the highway. So it's it's very um it's very not to say stressful, but it's very interesting as no two calls are the same and that's what that's what makes my job a whole lot more exciting and all the adaptability that I have to do in order to react to these calls you and to treat know, patients. You never know what's coming. Something. Yeah, I yeah, you never know what's coming from that phone or the radio. Like, wait, how did you know about that little place that you're working with again? So it's so it started like I said earlier. It started in primary school, and then uh, I did my research and I realized they had a, a ambulance service and ambulance department at KL in KL. Their main headquarters is in KL. They also have a Selangor branch, Ipoh branch branch but i decided to go to kl branch because it's uh, bigger and they have more units at their disposal so i applied uh, got uh, my certifications my license my licensing and uh, yeah that's how i got the job yeah, how long did it take for the license but it's not it's oh so the license mm, it's more of like training so you have to go through so first is uh, you got to know the international humanitarian law, IHL, and then you have to go through the basics of requesting what we do, what is our main goals, and then comes the medical aspect of it. So we have basic first aid, advanced first aid, basic life support, advanced life support, advanced pediatric life support, advanced cardiac life support, uh, all kinds of stuff, basically, area management and all that. So this is to allow us to have this this training allows us to treat all kinds of scenarios and all kinds of patients, no matter what happens. You know, give them a chance at survival again. Is there like any prerequisites uh, before you had that you have had before uh, after applying? Uh, no, no, actually. So, I mean, it's better if you knew a bit of basic first aid, you know, but and also if you have a CPR license, because um, if you don't have a CPR license and you perform CPR on a patient, you can get sued for it if you don't have a license to perform CPR. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a CPR license before joining, so that kind of boosted me up into the program. But uh, I've had colleagues who have had no experience. They join, they go into trainings, they develop skills, and uh, they excel in what they do, and they become the best of the best. It helps to have some, but you, you can just join, especially if you have the passion for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the most important about any healthcare-related jobs is the passion and the dedication. Yeah. You know, it's it's mean it's a lot of people think you know like becoming a doctor. Some people think stereotypingly it's like for the money it's and all that. But for the money, yeah. Yeah, yeah but in in reality, right? It's all about your dedication and passion to save a life. That's the baseline of it. If you don't have the passion, you don't have the dedication and the compassion to do so, then the money is just like, you only get happiness from the money. Like to me, it's not about the money. Like 
if I see my patients recover or if I see my patients in the hospital the next day and they're doing better than they were when I treat before I treated them, that's already given me a lot of hope, a lot of happiness, knowing that I've done my job really well and knowing that I gave them a second chance in life and uh, they're going to do good with it and, uh, you know, move forward in life. What do you think, like, the easiest way for mental health assistance, though? So, with mental health, right, there's a lot of touchy areas and sensitive areas and different people have different ways of approaching it. Some can be too, uh, some can be very reserved, like they do not want to seek for help, They or some uh, others, they instead of counselling, they uh, go straight uh, towards uh, medications, pills, uh, and you have people who really want to do something about it and uh, and uh, seek counseling on all that. So it all it all depends on the individual person. But I think, in my opinion, the main way to help with mental health would be to not only to raise awareness but also to have more opportunities for these people to seek out and uh, gain help from. Like uh, in Malaysia, we have. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but we have uh, befrienders. You also have uh, hospital-related services. You have psychologists, psychiatrists. These people are, you know, are they've studied for it. They've done exam papers. They've done courses for it, and uh, they'll also do their best to help. So it all depends on individuality, actually. Yeah, the the thing is, like, when it comes to like, you know, uh, regarding the individual. Especially in Malaysia, in a more reserved, you know, a country mm-hmm. that doesn't really have a lot of education for mental health assistance. Mm-hmm. A lot of people seem to always have one way or the other to avoid trying to seek mental health assistance for themselves. And one of those ways that I see uh, a lot of my friends and people I know is uh, trying to come up with like, uh, you could call these excuses, uh, like the idea that, that, you know, it's probably not a mental health issue. But you know you could, uh, you could like weigh it out of it. Like if if you're experiencing mm-hmm. like ADHD and you haven't really diagnosed yourself or you haven't really had any professional help getting diagnosed, you're usually more uh, they're more prone to uh, listening to advice from their friends where their friends just call them lazy and whatnot. And a lot of them take that into like the heart. Like maybe I am just lazy. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. So like what I wanted to ask was like. From your point of view, like in your field, what what have you seen, like uh, especially the Malaysian government or NGOs trying to do in trying to combat this sort of stigma? Because like from the public's perspective, we don't see much, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, so I just wanted to ask, like, what's actually going on? Mm-hmm. Okay, to be very honest with you, um, in my field, on the fund field, right, in terms of trainings. When it comes to mental health, we aren't, there's no specific guidebook or manual on how to overcome this issue or how to help these kind of patients. So essentially, it just goes by, not to say, not to have, not to say a gut feeling, but more of like a logical thinking, you know, like, because mental health has a wide spectrum in yeah. mental health. You know, you have, uh, you have, like as you said earlier, 
uh, ADD, ADHD, all the way to anxiety and uh, depression and all these, although some people might think it's small, it's still considered a mental health. And uh, as of right now, NGOs and governments are trying to come up with programs, uh, campaigns to raise awareness. Essentially, essentially, our main goal as of right now, the government, which I believe is to raise awareness, because as you said earlier, sure. in terms of education, <laughs> not everyone is aware of how detrimental mental health can be to a person. You know, although it's one of, although if it's, although if it's a small mental health issue, you know, so even small things as it builds up over time, it can lead up to something even bigger, you know, like someone with ADHD or ADDD, when they take um, feedback and comments to their heart, you know, it can lead up to having anxiety, depression, depression right. yeah, and self-induced experiences. Yeah. And yes. The confidence just drops. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you said like the government's trying to do stuff as, and the primary goal right now is awareness, like the, I, I think that's the, like the, the step that we still have difficulties overcoming and that is true. <laughs> Because that like, is true. I can't deny that. That is very true. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can see like efforts done by the government, but um, you can't really put all this uh, sort of burden on like one body of group of people true. that have like a million other responsibilities. So while the government is, uh, especially the government or any NGO can be said to be held accountable, but at the end of the day, it's a very, it's a much wider issue, right? Yes, like yes. everybody should be held accountable, yes. every individual. So now this so, goes, this goes back, this goes back towards the individual's friends and family, right? Hmm. If the friends and family know what to do and know how to respond to it, I think, you know, it would, the situation would be much better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if, like, if you have people that are individually aware of these things, uh, it, it goes a long way, especially like when uh, they have a friend where they can pin, they can see like there's there's a bit something off instead of like you know forcing the stigma on them, calling them yeah. either lazy or if they're sad, just <laughs> be happy, you know the yeah. cliche stuff. Yeah. Uh, if if we can just get over that and uh, like raise like even the most basic levels of awareness, like like you said, we. <laughs> but the issue still remains like how how can one raise awareness, right? The government and the NGOs, we've uh, done programs and, you know, not to say not many people attend, but if I were to compare like a concert to a program like this, you know, yeah. you can clearly be seen that, you know, a lot of people go to the concert, but when it comes to kind of programs, not many people would uh, go for it. In the era of COVID, where mental health is a much more bigger issue, where people being separated from, yes. uh, you know, human contact. Isolated, you know, like. For some people, it'd be for those people who like lives alone in their house, like they feel mm-hmm. isolated. And then if you yes. want to call people, yeah. that people can sometimes be available and sometimes can't. So that is true. And ha- how they cooperated before COVID might have been different. And then, like the first lockdown, I, I, you know, like um, depression cases, all like how mental health people. It, Mental health increased because of lockdown, like the first lockdown, true. right? That is that is true. I mean, um, and then you know, enough like if you're alone, you know, depression kicks in. You start feeling lost, not sure what to do. 
you know, I mean, I I think that maybe if if these people could find like something else to do, like maybe a new hobby, like cooking or something yeah. they find exciting to do at home, then maybe the impact and the effect of it wouldn't be as much. Yeah, because once you you have the ability to get your mind. Also, yeah, once you're preoccupied yeah, yeah. and all that, it, <laughs> you're preoccupied it doesn't and all hit that. you as hard, yes. It doesn't hit you. Yes, exactly. And you're keeping yourself so, busy. Yeah. By by doing that itself, it can, it can help. One thing that, you know, you, you see a lot in news nowadays is like, you, you see like the word defenders, like as, as a part of the public. It's, it's everywhere on the news, right? Mm-hmm. But if there's one thing I personally experience, uh, myself as a person, you know, as a person uh, who's experiencing a lot of mental health issues, even with uh, the accessibility of uh, befrienders and whatnot, there's still this sort of invisible wall. You know what I'm saying? The 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 the, the, the trust barrier. Yeah, that 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 sort of barrier. It's like you want to contact them, and this is something that a lot of people that I know, my own friends. It's not like it's not like we know. It's not like we don't know that these exist, especially with all the effort the government's making. There's an increase in the awareness of the existence of these institutions, but there's this subconscious barrier, and then people will play around with us, uh, saying that they know this that. exists, but they don't want to get help, or you know, it's probably not going to help, or you know, they could do something else. First things first. It is never wrong to seek help from as from anybody, especially if someone who is experienced in that field, you know, it's never wrong to seek help, you know, just because you seek help, you're not weak, you're not incapable of controlling yourself, you're not, you're not any lesser than the other guy sitting next to you, you know, just because you seek help does not mean that you aren't able to do things yourself, you know, if anything, you seeking help would mean that you are a strong person, you take initiative of your own mind and thought, you're going you to make yourself a better person and to improve your quality of life. So that's one one main advice I can give when it comes to that kind of barrier. You know, just say to yourself that, look, if I seek help, I'm going to get better. I may get better, but it's if, if it's anything at all, it's definitely going to be better than what I'm feeling or facing as of right now. You know, mm-hmm. instead of instead of thinking like, oh, if I seek help, you know, people are going to call me weak. My friends are going to think uh, that I am uh, seeking for attention, all kinds of nonsense and all that. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. Whoever thinks that you're seeking uh, seeking for attention, that's just wrong in my in my point of view. You know, the the stigma of like thinking people with mental health problems are seeking attention. That's a very damaging stigma. That is, I, I, think I, agree. I agree. I agree. That, 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 that should stop. <laughs> yeah. Immediately. That should really, stop. should really stop. It's because uh, it's because of those kind of people. Whole... People who have actual mental health can't seek help anymore. They don't have the motivation. They don't have the confidence to do so, you know, when people say those kind of detrimental words to them. They feel like they feel vulnerable, you know, and nobody wants to feel vulnerable, right? So that is true. That like, is true. so one one thing like I, I think we should try our hardest to get across is the idea that these people should not uh, have like their ideas validated, right? But it is. <laughs> it's mainstream. It's the. It's a very popular public opinion, and 
in your experience, how have you dealt with? Of of course, I would expect you. Uh, of course, I think you must have had experiences with patients that would uh, share uh, uh, their stories about how they first didn't want to contact you guys, or probably they don't want to ha have interactions with uh, the mental health. Uh, institutions of Malaysia because of this very same problem, right? Oh, like probably mm. like how they kept on denying, saying like they're okay, they're okay. Even though okay, so like, yeah, like, so I had an experience. Um, I it was uh, it was last year, last year. Mm. Um, so we got this call, right? Uh, it was from the it was from the wife, right? The wife called the uh, emergency services, and the dispatcher told us that the wife called, and um, the wife said that, uh, "Look, um, we've been trying our very best not to get any um, emergency attention and all that, but uh, I think um, my husband's, uh, uh, you know, delusional. He's seeing things. He's getting aggressive. He's uh, been abusive at home." He's uh, been talking to himself and all kinds of stuff, and uh, we could really use your help. And as as uh, as a paramedic, we don't normally get these kind of calls, but when we do, the whole mood changes. Well, uh, in the in that specific ambulance crew. So in my crew, it's me and my partner. Um, our mindset changed from responding to a high risk, high priority call to a more of uh, more of a uh, more of a compassionate and understanding environment. So once we arrive on scene, right, um, we see the uh, we see the family at their house, and uh, the wife was uh, the wife flagged us down from the ambulance, and um, we were talking to the wife, and then the husband came out, and, she, and the husband was started yelling at us, and um, and he was like, oh. Uh, you can't be here. You're trespassing. I know my rights. Uh, you or you, you, you. This is my property. You know you can't be here. And uh, we told them that, uh, sir, listen. Um, we're with the government. And my name's Raj. I'm from the Mission Requesting Society. We got called out here for a, a for a medical call. Is everything okay? So, the first thing, as you can see in this kind of scenario, is how compassion and how soft voiced I am towards these kind of patients because that's what they really need you know they, they don't need any more aggression or any more force projected on them or projected towards them because this only gets them more agitated or more uh, more uh, or they get more into denial or they or it starts to trigger them and start to trigger a involuntary response which we do not want so just have to be Although it's hard you have to be a comforting voice, now. Yes, although it's hard for some people, just gotta be very compassionate about it. You gotta be, you gotta be understanding. You know, you just you gotta sympathize and empathize with them. You know, knowing that um, you know they have this issue, and uh, you know it's not something treatable with medic. It's not something that you can treat on scene with like medications such as uh, adrenaline or epinephrine. You know, so it's all about uh, your so. When it, when it comes to a calling, then it's all about um, how we project ourselves first, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, we come to find out about the patient's history. So basically, he's been delusional, he's uh, been depressed, has uh, some has an anxiety, has also uh, is also aggressive slash abusive. So 
because of the abusive slash aggressive uh, history of the patient as paramedics, because we aren't allowed to carry anything to defend ourselves. So we, as protocol, we needed to call the, uh, uh, we needed to call, uh, call in the uh, police department. So they came and, uh, but I told the police department to just uh, hang back because, you know, seeing, seeing a cop in front of the house might trigger something, might trigger a defensive mechanism to the patient. And, you know, things could just turn wild just like that. You never, you never know what could happen on a call, as I said. So we then talked to the patient and also the patient wasn't eating for about two to three weeks. Every time the wife gave him food, he would just throw it out the window. So um, he was severely dehydrated, uh, really thin. See that he hasn't slept for quite a few days. So he's just really disoriented and, uh, and uh, you know, just really not in the right of state of mind. And, and in the end, we... Uh, without using any force, we uh, got him to the back of the ambulance. I then did a, I then I then did my uh, vitals, checking him his pulse rate, his uh, oxygen, and all that. And uh, was he like defensive in any way? Yes, yes, yes. He was. He was twitchy. He was. I can still remember. He was very twitchy. He was um, shaky. It's just because uh, it's. He was very. What's that word? Uncomfortable. Was out of his zone, lah. Yes, yes, uh, really abnormal behaviors. But, uh, you know, I kept my cool and, you know, just told him, sir, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And I reintroduced myself, you know, because with this kind of patients, you got to know that you are not here to cause them harm or any pain. You're here to help them and to care for them and to understand how they feel and all that. So uh, we then took him to the uh, hospital and then over there he was given uh, he was given, he was given more uh, intravenous uh, saline for his uh, electrolyte loss due to not eating and then he was sent off to the uh, psych he was signed off to handed over to the psych department but I stay, I stayed through until he had to get admitted so um, I was I watched the process the nurses were you know calm with the patient they understood their roles as nurses with this kind of patient to treat them differently from let's say a trauma patient if they were to come in so there was more a lot of compassion a lot of dedication and uh, the patient all around you know was not really acting up not getting as aggressive as his history had told and um few few weeks passed by and I am at home and I get a call on my phone. It was the wife. The wife called me. He was like, <clears throat> the wife was like, hey, is this uh, Raj from Malaysian Request? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And like, hey, do you still remember my husband just sent me to the hospital the other, the other time? Uh, wasn't, he wasn't really right in the head and all that. I'm like, yeah, I still remember. She's like, and she was really, she told me that she was really thankful for how I arrived on stage and took control of the situation and, you know, just calmed her husband down and, provided the husband with immediate uh, care and transfer to a safer facility. And she was all around thankful, which made me really happy. And she also told me that the husband has been feeling better and is not eating and sleeping, which is a great improvement from the last time I saw him. Yeah. And that just, you know, made me really happy. And yeah, so in the end, you know, when it comes to dealing with mental patients and it comes to being people who have mental health from the smallest 
ADHD to the biggest depression, anxiety, self-harm. It all comes down to us as a person to show compassion, to show sympathy and to show care for these people because the main reason why they are having this kind of mental problem is because they have faced either a traumatic incident and they are either born that way or due to uh, due to the environment around them, that's how they react to it. That's how they react normally to it. So make them think that, you know, you're there to help them and to care for them and to be there for them, essentially. That helps to calm them down and, you know, maybe give them a second thought about it and seek professional mental health people to help them in their, in their path to becoming a better person, you know? When you hear stories like this, it really paints like a much more clear picture of the situation from like all aspects. Uh, because like even from the start, it was uh, the the source itself seemed to be like the idea of a stigma. Because even when you got the call, uh, the wife first mentioned that she could have gotten help earlier. She didn't say that directly, but the idea is that she could have gotten help earlier, but because she was probably afraid this, this, of like this, the this backlash. So it wasn't it wasn't the wife that didn't want help. It was the husband actually didn't want it help. It was the husband himself. In denial, oh. it was it was husband in denial. He was in denial. He was saying that he was fine. He didn't. He he thought that he was acting normal, but the wife really wanted him to seek medical help. So, mm. so the in the end, I think the wife broke and had no choice but to call for emergency medical services to come in and assist. I mean, so yeah, it's so still great. It's, 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 generally, that's. That, yeah, yeah. Generally, that stigma of, you know, I may seek medical, I may seek help later. That that stigma is not just, is is not just directed, is not just uh, found in normal members of the public, but also to patients themselves. So technically, everyone has been infected with this stigma, and this stigma should shouldn't be as obvious or, or as expressed as it is as. And because right now it leads to situations that you have yourself faced like that one which is like very critical situations mm -hmm. that if probably prolonged longer if like if like in a in a different uh lifetime where the wife uh, kept listening to the husband things yeah. could have got could have gotten way worse right and then I mean, you, you start someone could you start have someone thinking, could have got him hurt really bad yeah exactly and then you start thinking like what if like there's that exact situation happening right now and then you're probably going to get a call next week uh, yeah. when it has become severe like the like the call you got yeah so i think the stigma of um seeking makeup seeking help later should be changed towards no, totally changed should be changed to like if this person does not seek help as soon as possible he, he or she, or whoever, uh, whoever the person is, may get even worse than they were before, and this could lead to devastating consequences that could mean the life and death of said patient or the people around them. It can go from zero to 100 real quick, just like that, if some things aren't changed or treated as soon as possible. Exactly. People don't think about these things when they're perpetu perpetuating that stigma, right? They usually think, oh, uh, you know, 
you know, encouraging people to just hold on and fight it off is the most healthy way to go because you grow as a person, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Sure. <laughs> I mean, like, hold on and fight it off. But I mean, come on, that, that, that patient has, it can been only go so far. For, has been holding on longer than you might think. And exactly. for all you know, they might just break the next day and things could happen, you know? Things, things could happen that you can't really take back. Yeah. Yes, yes. On the on the topic of like uh, stigma surrounding seeking mental health assistance and like the idea that it's becoming more mainstream, you see a lot of uh, like I've said before, like my my exposure to KL defenders. Have you had like any experience uh, working with them or like uh, interacting with any members of KL defenders or anybody that has contacted them? Um, no, no, I have not. Unfortunately, no, you haven't. So then no. NGO, most they're of, not part of most the government. Most of, most of my patients, I send them to a hospital and they have psych, uh, the psych department that they take over. So ah, I, I, do, I don't go to NGOs, yeah. Okay, so Calvary Fenders are NGOs. Eh? So like, uh, have you had any patients that have probably tried to contact any sort of NGOs? Or is it, or do you always like encounter patients that uh, in a, a critical situation and haven't really seeked any sort of medical health attention in the past? So, first things first, getting a mental health call is very rare. And when we uh, do, it's, it's mainly really the, critical. the critical stages, yes. It's mainly the critical uh, stages. So, so, my advice to, uh, to our listeners who are listening in, instead of waiting for us to get to them, to uh, instead of waiting for us to help them when they are at a critical stage, why not provide assistance before they now. reach the critical stage? Now. You know, Be- yeah. yeah, because because uh, like as, uh, as someone in emergency medical services, we don't we get calls all around the clock from accidents to poisonings to stabbings to fights to all kinds of stuff, so we can be preoccupied as well and we may not be on scene as fast as you think so if the listeners who are listening play their part into being the difference of someone going to the critical end point of their mental health as opposed to the beginning stages and to help them at the beginning stages itself it would be greatly appreciated and we would really and uh, not only myself, but I think the whole country would really appreciate people yeah. doing that for for putting themselves forward in that position and to assist and to help out people who have mental health problems because statistically, mental health issues, the aggressive ones, such as self-harm, suicide, or the uh, disturbing stuff, is one of the high causes of death among people in this country as opposed to car accidents in this country, statistically. Because on average, like if I, like when I go to work on a week, I rarely get a car accident call. Not not rarely, maybe like once a week or maybe none a week, you know? So in this country, mental health problems is a big issue that not many people know how to solve and know how to treat and know how to help out. So what I can say to that is, why not try to be more understanding to these people and to be compassionate and to show compassion to them and to make sure that 
they know that you are there to support them and not to backlash them and pound them to the ground and telling them that they're a piece sure. of shit when they're not. Like uh, to, to paint a much more clear picture to our listeners, right? Okay, because you you pointed out that uh, to, on a statistic level, uh, mental health, uh, their critical mental health issues are cause more harm than car crashes statistically. Malaysia is one of uh, the highest uh, countries, uh, the highest rated countries, or in Southeast Asia, where car where car crashes are like the the main. Uh, contributing factor to death and uh, serious injury. So the fact that Malaysia is top in that department to say that mental health uh, critical issues are much worse is actually a really big statement. And that's the issue. Is. People don't think about that. They read the news, they see car crashes, and then they they think, oh, like this is unfortunate. It is, but people don't see like there's a a, a bigger problem that because in in the cases of car crashes, right. Uh, you could blame that on uh, the cars themselves not functioning or the drivers being irresponsible. When it comes to mental health issues, it's every individual's sort of burden. You know, you're the, every parent to their child, every friend to their companion at school, every teacher to their students, it's everyone's responsibility. So you can't blame that on like a company, like you can on cars, you can blame that on like one irresponsible driver. So the fact that it's an issue that everybody can chime in and contribute to fix, but and yet it still contributes to a much uh, uh, larger amount of it's critical true. accidents compared to car crashes. Yeah, I just wanted to paint like a more clear picture to the listeners of how bad the situation is and, and like how and, we, and, we can help, but we don't. Yeah, and, and to add on to that, like if you look at newspaper, how often do you see a newspaper article regarding mental health as opposed to a car accident? Not much. <laughs> let, me, let, me just, let me just leave that there for a while. Yeah, exactly. Like when you, you just spend like a minute thinking about when was the last time you saw someone talk about mental health issues in the news compared to car crashes. Open, yeah, compared to a car accident. You, do, you don't. You just don't. I can't think of one time. Maybe on Twitter, but not on like actual paper not, news not or newspapers. newspaper articles. It's article. already like a taboo, probably like a taboo subject where we yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah, it's a taboo subject that most people subject. don't want to tackle. Yeah. But but yet, like we 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 like have a, a spotlight on issues that are totally valid. Like you want the rate of car crashes to decrease, of course, but. At the same time, like nobody we is putting on the spot can definitely chime in ourselves, and that is definitely being, especially with COVID nineteen, a critical issue in our country right now. So, like, our listeners, I feel like it really, it really is important that everybody like plays their part and are defeating the stigma and whatnot, and having the idea that you know you need to seek help before it gets worse, or even if you really do believe it doesn't get worse, right? Because like a lot of people, they have um. Because if they have depression, you can like, it leads to self harm or whatnot. But some people think like, oh, I only have, let's say, anxiety. I only have ADD. Or my friend, I, I have a sibling or family member who is part of the spectrum who has autism. Where and people don't really correlate those with self harm. They do. Uh, it does happen. But uh, let's take the best case scenario and you don't self harm yourself, right? Uh, these people don't don't do anything to uh, hurt themselves or hurt others. It's the experiences they have. 
in, that can hurt themselves, maybe not physically, but mentally, like they can't focus and, and their grades think, or they find it so hard to make uh, friends that they feel so lonely, that, or they, you know, they, they have an unhealthy style and they uh, quarantine themselves in their home, not because of MCO, but because it's hard for them to have, you know, uh, social interactions. And like, we, we need to, you know, break down that stigma that we can help, even if it doesn't harm themselves or harm others. You know, just avoid these situations. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then to the listeners, you know, after listening into this podcast, I want you all to, you know, pick up your phone, uh, go into Discord, Skype, or whatever social networking platform, you know, find a friend, I mean, text a friend, you know, and ask them how you're doing, how's the day been, you know, that those kind of statements and questions can make someone stay be better and goes a really long way, you know, just let them know that you're there. Like these small you know. actions. Small actions. Yes, small actions go a long way. And that is that is really true. Small actions do go a long way. Small actions can contribute to good things like, you know, you call your friends or whatnot. But there's also like, you know, you go to Discord and then somebody is talking about their mental health issues and you randomly say something like, uh, go to DMs or shut up, nobody cares about you or, you know, come on go chill you know it's like these small comments they go both ways like negative small comments goes a lot in hurting someone's mental in, health yeah in, instead of asking them to go to like dms or to you know stop talking about it why not you invite them to your dm and you know yeah, exactly. and have a talk with them you know ask them if hey look i saw this on this discord server you all right is everything okay you know these kind of things brings not only friendships but it also brings good mental thoughts to that patient to that person you know and and they have a sense of belonging then they have a sense of calm knowing that someone's out there looking out for them you know and like like as i said earlier you know tell ask your friends you know how you doing how's your day for you they might open up to you and you know exactly and you might get like topic started and from then can continue and see what happens you know while we can communicate with the dms or message to these people we can also develop trust because that is one thing i think of with this not uh talking it out to other people because we don't have that trust of them of how they would react to the news that you would tell them it's that fear of being vulnerable and like how they would react to you and like it's either uh, they say oh it's a face or get over it's it. Nothing. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. And to add, and to add on to that, you know, if someone tells uh, shares really personal information with you, you know, even if they don't tell you, even if they don't tell you to not sh- tell anyone else, so don't be a bob and tell the whole world about their issues. I mean, that's uh, just not, it, that's not, that's not, not only nice. Yeah. yeah, that's not only really really disrespectful to that person because they trusted you that information and then you decide to be Bob and tell it to the whole world. I mean, really, nobody wants to be a Bob. I think the most important thing when it comes to talking to people who have these kind of issues ranging from ADD to the severe end of the spectrum, I think the main components to helping them would be trust, communication, compassion, and care these four things can go a really really long way for that person compared to them not getting it at all or them getting shut down by 
people who just don't give a damn, you know? Like exactly. these, these four things can really help someone not only that day, but also maybe make them be a really, really, really better person than they were before. And who knows, you might see obvious changes in them. And not only will they be happy, but you yourself will be happy as well, knowing that you've done something to help that person and to know that they have improved is improved. to me a great feeling than anything else. It doesn't it doesn't go only for them. It, it goes on also for you because you know treat others like how they want to treat you or you want them to treat you. <laughs> and it uh, it also helps like your own personal thoughts. You help others you gain like a sort of perspective on life. Yeah, you, you improve your own uh, visions of life and whatnot. And then you also feel better. So there's really no loss in helping people. I feel like the, the only the only win you get from hurting yeah. other people is simply making yourself feel better. And even that doesn't last longer than when you help other people. The, the sense of accomplishment and you know um, positivity. If you if 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 you feed on people's suffering, pain, and sadness, you are a really, really bad person. That's putting it nicely. Yeah, putting it nicely. Really. That's putting it nicely. Really bad. I mean, I mean, I work for the government. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I work for the government, but I do have my contacts. You know, I find out that you're the really, really bad person. FBI agents on my doorstep. Okay, so like moving on from that, like I, I feel like. With the stigma and whatnot, the first step to overcoming the stigma as an individual, like whether you have mental health issues or you don't, everybody has mental health issues. When it's critical or not is the question. Right? So, uh, the first step is just to educate yourself. So, like to our listeners out there, like what would you advise? Like the best way one can educate oneself, like maybe a website, a source, maybe a few books you have in mind. Um. Hmm. Well, I think first things first, self-care and self, uh, self-improvement is uh, it's a good, it's a good thing. You know, it helps to relieve most of these problems. The next would be to some. Okay, when you read, there are books. I don't know any books, but I know there are books out there, articles out there regarding this issue, and authors who. Or writers who write these articles and books, not, uh, they don't, they don't mostly have the same way of going for it. Some Good people have different ways of, yeah. Some people have different ways of approaching an issue. So, so instead of you know mm-hmm. reading and finding out about all this, why not try to find something that helps you productively and helps you be better and to get your mind off your thoughts, you know. Like maybe talking to a friend helps with that, you know, but yeah, like by all means, you know, there are really, really good articles and books out there to help you understand that help you to try to relate to these people and to give them a new sense of belonging and it it really helps. Yeah. Small actions. That's like the first step. You don't need to read a book about it. You don't need to read an article. 
that you you need to just put yourselves out there. Well, like, with, with COVID, you can't literally put yourselves out there. But like you know, messaging your friends, Leave, contacting people, text, you text know. people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Text Give, people. Call like, like. Okay, like I'm not saying you should be like me, but like I call friends unnecessarily, you know, like just for fun and to check up on them and how they're doing, you know, like give them like a call up from out of nowhere at like 2 a.m. in the morning like and if they answer they answer you know this this kind of things you know it brightens up someone's day i mean maybe not if you're sleeping but you know otherwise <laughs> no <laughs> it, i actually have like uh, i'm i'm like an experience with this uh i was i was like really busy with an assignment now and you know you normal student things you're doing your assignment <laughs> you're you're all you're all stressed out and whatnot you know we've all been relatable there. relatable <laughs> relatable <laughs> Uh, and all of a sudden, I got like a random call from one of my friends, like one of my high school friends. He's now studying at Japan. So he just randomly called me and I thought like he wanted something from me. Right? I picked it up and then he said, yo, what's up? And I said, um, I don't know, I'm doing assignments. I was like, I was genuinely in a bad mood, busy with assignments, but I wasn't going to, you know, push him off. And then all of a sudden we got like a really into the mood and then like, at the end of the day, the reason he called me was like because like before we ended the call, I just wanted to ask out of curiosity, like what the what did you call me for? We we literally talked about like uh, laptop prices and whatnot, really not relatable with anything of the current situation. Right? And then he said, Nah, I just wanted to call you. I thought it was fun. And then you know that bright that that brightened my day. You know, like yeah, I, I yeah, ended I the bet, call doing. You know, bet. I'm gonna finish my assignments in a good mood. Yeah, and also to sidetrack to sidetrack a bit. Uh, since we're talking about not to sidetrack, but since we're on the topic of mental health issues, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually have mild ADHD. I mean, it was severe when I was younger, but now I, after years of self improvement and preoccupying myself, I it became a mild ADHD and it. It's not as impactful as it was into my life than it was back then. And uh, ever since I got this job as a paramedic, I have been uh, diagnosed with PTSD, which is a post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And um, at first it was, not to say unbearable, but I just, just couldn't handle it at first. But, you know, and... Although I, all like at that point, although I was in a healthcare service, I too didn't know what to do at that point of time. But after, you know, sitting down, thinking, and realizing that how this could be detrimental to me in my future, I decided to seek uh, help from uh, seek help from my department, my. Uh, Human resource and uh, internal and internal affairs uh, department, and uh, sure enough, they lent a helping hand. They, I got the treatment I needed, got the medication that I needed, and and it got better over time. And eventually, uh, and eventually, eventually, I stopped taking the medication because I found a way to put these thoughts. In the back of my head in a folder that's locked and my, my, my PTSD is basically um, whereby I suddenly um, um, think and uh, have images of um, my patients who did not make it or who were under my care but didn't survive 
and it was hard for me because they kept popping up in my head whenever I tried to sleep and all that. But now it's much more controlled. It's in the back of my head and it really gets triggered as of now. So I'm so right now I can con- I can uh, confidently tell you and my listeners that I am not on mandatory medications anymore. Um, I still have them, but that's if, if it gets bad. But uh, as of right now, I am not on medication anymore and I am in complete control of my PTSD. So this is something that I like to share to everyone because if someone gets the right care and someone gets the right help they need, they can be in control of their thoughts and they can be in control of their emotions and shut them off and to not let that mental health issue be a hindering bug with them throughout their entire life, if you get what I mean. Thank you for sharing. That was actually yeah, very insightful. You. And I feel like, especially hearing it no from worries. someone who's currently working in like the uh, medical field, it feels much <sighs> more comforting in a sense, you know? Because normally, like, a part of like the public's perception towards uh, people in the medical field is that there's a, like I said before, there's a barrier. So like we don't, we don't usually see doctors or like psychologists as us. We see them generally above us. Like uh, we don't, we don't know that they have their own problems and whatnot. So sometimes we think like they wouldn't understand us, you know, despite their years of studying and whatnot. No, but hearing really, uh, it from like even. Yeah, we're all humans. Hearing that, even though you're working in the field, hearing that even though you're working in the field and you still have that sort of fear. But yeah, I think the only trauma I've had so far in my entire life is studying my ass off for exams. I think that's the only major trauma I have (laughs) and still have. (laughs) Okay, you guys shared your story of this mental health. I recently had like this, uh, a time where I was down. And I was feeling so down that I just started crying like in the afternoon for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then I just literally locked myself in my room. And then good enough, like one of my good friends texted me, asked me how I was and like, how was I doing and all. Mm-hmm. And I just told her like, oh. Uh, that's really sweet of them. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm just feeling quite down recently. Yeah. I think for patients with mental health, right, I think it's best for them to open up. I mean, personally, from experience, I know it is hard. It is exhausting and it's tiring and the constant fear of getting shut down and the backlash. Yeah. So my my opinion and my advice is, you know, have that someone who you can talk to and trust your your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband, your best friend that you care about the most, you know, if they lis- if 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 they listen to you when you open up and they understand and they are there with you, not only are they an amazing person and a, the best person you can ever have in your life, but when you open up and you express yourself, this reduces the strain the the mental strain you have and the stress that you have knowing that you've just you know it's like it's like releasing anger but not anger if you get what i mean you know it's it's calming and you know at least have someone to put a shoulder on you feel like your burden is a little bit lifted yes 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 
Yes, that is true. That's that why is I true. always try because there are some people that um people that would come to me whenever they have problems, yeah. or like I would just like disturb them when I feel like yeah. something is wrong, or like mm-hmm. uh those DM not DMs like those Snapchat stories or Instagram stories saying like how they're feeling is down. I think that there are quite a few people though like doing that. So yeah. I would just... I mean, as for me, I as as for us, yeah, go ahead. And I may continue. <laughs> no, yeah, like 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 uh, adding on to that. I mean, I have a girlfriend, and she's really amazing. And whenever 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 I'm having a bad day or uh, you know something just didn't go well, I would open up to her, and uh, and she would you know make me view things in another way, whereby maybe it happened because. Of this, and you know, it's a good thing it happened, you know, and yeah. you know the fact that she's understanding and she listens and she cares about my mental health. It's relieving to know that she is a part of me, and and I really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And having this kind of people in your life not only makes you have different perceptions of people, but it also allows you to build up that trust barrier with someone and to. Reduce, like you said earlier, reduce the burden and the stress you have in your mind, and you know I think everyone should have that one person that they can talk to and they just let let out all of their thoughts, and it would really help. So as long as that person isn't a bomb, that's the whole other world. And you know maybe you know you could be that person for someone else. Yes, yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're close to that person or not. When they're the time of needs, just do it. Just tell yeah. them yes, how yes. they are. And there is no. And if you're and if you're and if you're a person who is facing a mental health issue, either something from something from the smallest, some the small side of the spectrum, or to the big side of the spectrum, there is no shame in that. Okay. There is no shame. There is no problem with it because. Not ev- not because, you know, not everyone can. Not everyone is perfect, and you know, it's nothing to be ashamed about it, and it's always good to let someone else know, because not only will it come for you, but also open up to you as well, uh, vice versa, you know, and if you are someone who is uh, close to a person with mental uh, health issues. Don't be ashamed by that either. Deep down, you know that you are there for that person because you want to help them and care for them, make for them and make them a better person. And there is no shame in that. If anything, you are a hero to that. You are their hero. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what profession you come from, what your background is. You know, you don't have to be a healthcare service provider to provide care to someone with mental health issues. You can be, you can be a normal human being like. Like an exact example would be: Look, I'm in I'm in the healthcare field. My girlfriend's in the art field. Like two totally different fields, but yet she's always there for me, and she always listens, and she always and she's there to, you know, lend a helping hand and to listen to me when I'm having a bad day or when I'm just having my one of my PTSD attacks. She's there to support me and to care for me, and she she says things that really just calms me down and. Thinks and uh, removes the hazy thought, and uh, you know, gets me back to gets me back to uh, reality, and makes me feel so much better than I was. You know, 
So yeah, doesn't matter who you are, what you, what race, doesn't matter what your background is, as long as you have the heart and the compassion to do so, do it. It's a win-win. No one loses anything. Yeah, yeah to add in what Jimmy uh, said, you don't lose anything, but you do gain something. You gain like a better relationship with people, and like you're becoming a hero. To these people, <laughs> and another benefit of this is you don't you don't have to study anything. You don't have to spend the midnight oil learning and reading about studying about these kind of things about learning how to give compassion, how to give uh, good words to people. It's all about the heart. You know, there's no nothing to study, nothing to read up on. There's no grades, no exam for it. You don't have to have trauma from sitting from exam papers. It's <laughs> it's it's all about the heart and the compassion. Exactly. All you all you have to do is literally listen to them and have to validate their problems. Maybe yeah, give a bit, open, give a bit of like yeah. comforting words. You, you don't need to study for this stuff. There's no yeah, effort it's... really put it. You don't have to burn your. That's one of um, yeah. That's one of my friends said. You know, open your hearts and open your minds. So uh, at the end of the day, like, the the idea is if uh, in, in Malaysia there's like a lot of. Uh, organizations and whatnot, and a lot of sources for mental health assistance. But uh, not only do they play a role, but you yourself also play a role for your friends, for your own mental health, and also for those that you care about. And they also play a role for you. So to, to, the list, to our listeners uh, out there, if you feel like you want to seek mental health assistance, go ahead. You, you lose nothing. And if you feel like, you know, you, you've seen a friend who's a bit uh, has been down in the dumps lately. You 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 lose nothing from you know hitting them up, WhatsApping them, or yeah. DMing them on Discord, even saying hi, even saying how's your day. It goes a really long way. And to add to that, right? Mm. If to those to listeners who are listening, you know, if you are facing problems or you know someone who is, you know, feel free to reach out to me. You know, I am available twenty four seven three six five. I will give. Uh, the host, my uh, social and my number, and at any point of time, give me a give me a call, give me a message, anything at all. I will, I'll be there for you guys, no matter what. Yeah, we'll uh, put the links to his social and contacts down in the description below. If you're listening from YouTube, if you're listening from Spotify, the links will be on YouTube. So go to our YouTube channel. So th- thank you for that option, uh, Raj. I, no I think it will help a, a lot of people if they get I some access. I say so too as well, yep. And also if you want to ask me more questions about what I do and uh, ask me more medical healthcare related uh, questions, uh, as I said earlier, leave me a DM and I'll get to you as soon as possible. Hey, so I, I think like that, that's that enough to up for like our topic today. That has been like a really productive session. Thank you a lot, Raj. Uh, we've no learned problem, a lot and I hope our listeners you. also have learned a lot. Been great to share yeah. information with y'all. And uh, before you. we, yeah, and before we go, right, uh, listeners, uh, I want you guys to do uh, the thing I told you earlier. You know, text a friend. You know, tell them, uh, you know, hey, how you doing? What's up? And you know, have a conversation with them. And uh, also, don't remember to always, uh, you know, open your heart and open your mind. You know, show compassion. You know, keep communicating with people who need someone to talk to and always remember trust is important when it comes not only to mental health mental health but to also everything else in general you know without trust nothing can happen so always remember that you know 
all, all these things that I've just said, you know, it's really, really important, not only for self-improvement, but also to help others in general. And uh, yeah, everyone can be a hero if they do their part. So, you know, uh, thank you, Raj. And we hope thank you, you so much we for wish... inviting me. Thank you for joining. Uh, you're welcome. We really enjoyed everything you've shared with us today. And, uh, <laughs> it was really fun and very uh, useful. So, you know, yes. we, we hope you the best in life and good luck. For your Same here, endeavor. and uh, yeah, and remember, both of you stay safe. Yeah, COVID cases ain't going. Yeah, nowhere. we'll do, we'll yeah, do. I know, it's it's rising. <laughs> Holy, <laughs> why? And to uh, the audience, stay safe. Yeah, and to the audience, stay safe. Don't go out. Stay at home, uh, okay? Government says stay at home. You stay, stay at home. home. Okay. Stay at home. People like me out. are working on. People like me are still. Well, people like me are still working. Okay, stay at home. <laughs> Please uh, follow MCOs. Uh, follow the MCO rules, please. We we need we need to work together on mental health and COVID. Yes, and if you don't follow the uh, uh, SOPs, uh, you might get a chance to see me in person, but in the back of an ambulance. <laughs> the the unfortunate way to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all right, uh, take care. Thank you. Thank bye you bye. Bye bye. Bye. Be safe. No problem. To all our listeners, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and that it has provided you with something to take away with. You can follow us on our social media if you want to learn more about mental health as a spectrum or any mental health related issues. The links will be provided in the description below if you are listening on YouTube. That is all from us in this episode. We hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.